So he rushes for 231 yards and two touchdowns. Oh, and he was given the ball. I believe I believe it was 100 yards, over 100 yards after the first quarter or something ridiculous like that. I, I Frankly, I'm surprised it's not more. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are on the mics to break down week eight in the OUA and what a week eight it was. We almost saw, mm, did we almost see a few upsets? Maybe at times some teams looked a little frisky. On the whole, it worked out pretty chalk, but definitely a few games that had OUA pundits and uh, perhaps some people with money on the line uh, very much uh, grasping at uh, or biting their nails or whatever folks do in moments of tension. Nate, how did you spend your OUA Saturday and uh, what sort of thoughts, feelings or concerns were you having during some of these odd games we had in the penultimate week of the season? Yeah, I think it was very odd and for me it's like you know, like you're watching your prestige TV show, like your your Game of Thrones, your succession or something like that. And we're like, you know, hitting that halfway point in, let's say, the season. And they, they've really hit that episode where they start putting all the threads together before like the big, you know, climax thing at the end of the season. And while, you know, we didn't get any upsets or things like that, we had games that were interesting enough that it really sets up a lot of different plot threads going into this last week of the season. So... Um, you know, it's been a bit chalky the past few weeks, and nonetheless, I think a lot of favorites won. But um, definitely the games were very interesting and didn't necessarily go exactly how people expected, I would say. Yeah, maybe it's like when the season ends with a bit of a cliffhanger and it's like, oh, you I mean I got to tune in again for next week or next season? Um, yeah, no, it'll be very interesting to go through these games. And uh, I was in attendance for... <laughs> Game of the week, baby. Game of the week. <laughs> Game of the week. The the GG's at the York Lions. Uh, we'll get to that briefly. Let's start off with all hardware as we do per usual. Nate, I'll give you first crack at the baton. Crack at the baton. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's later than we normally pod. It's past my bedtime. Offensive player of the week, Nate, who did you like? Well, I'm going to go to the Western Windsor game. And, you know, a game that was close at a point going into the third quarter. But obviously, Western pulled away late. And I'm going to go with Western receiver Seth Robertson, seven catches, 163 yards and a touchdown. Um, And what was ultimately a really good passing day for Western overall. But I mean, just kind of going through this game really stood out on the tape, making, you know, a variety of different catches throughout the game. You know, a one hander down the seam uh, that really, you know, got Western going um, in the passing game when things were really tight. And then, you know, even one where it bounced off his own guy and he caught it for a touchdown. Uh, he was just doing everything, you know, in the passing game for that Western offense. So that's, I'm going with Seth Robertson. Beautiful. Well, you're going with the receiving side of things and I'm going with the pivot side of things, but I'm also pivoting away from that game and moving to the Carlton Waterloo game and shouting out a guy that, um, you know, has, has kind of sneaky had a good statistical year, but part of this Ravens team that's just, you know, been the big question mark amongst you know, it's Mac was a big question mark. They seem to have perhaps found their footing. Guelph was a question mark, and they've, well, they've lost their footing if they ever had it this season. Um, anyways, I'm going with Terry DeYoung. Uh, Carlton coming off the bye off of the Panda loss. And, uh, you know, goes 21 for 38, 284, and two touchdowns. Is it against a Waterloo defense that's less than spectacular? Sure. Have a lot of teams put up points against them, including teams that aren't necessarily great offensively themselves? Sure. But the storyline seems to be, you know what? <clears throat> You know, as, as you kind of talked about 
that idea of getting ready for the playoffs. You know, Carlton as it stands right now, four and three, very good opportunity. In fact, it, it's 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 it would be pat on them to go anything but five and three at this point um not to get ahead of ourselves into the week nine slate of games so get the ball rolling have consistent outings like this regardless of the opponent and really start to establish your game going to the playoffs so shout out to tanner young uh who do you like defensively damn i'm just realizing that i'm going back to western here uh, i don't know i don't know how i feel about that but i'm going with that western defense um who did have a really good game i mean maybe some people are shocked that uh, Windsor put up, you know, 18 points on them or whatever, but um, still a great game uh, nonetheless. And I'm going with Bruce Moss on the D line, uh, five and a half tackles, but two and a half sacks and two TFLs and a force fumble. And he also happened to recover that fumble. So really a stellar performance and, a, you know, a couple really key plays there to slow down the Windsor offense that had a, a couple good drives there. Bruce Moss, also all Canadian, uh, first team all Canadian name. I don't ask me why. I just love the name Bruce Moss. It just sounds badass. Uh, you know, it's it's always a little tough to to hand out hardware for a player on a a losing um, on the losing side of the ledger, so to speak. But I am going to shout out a Guelph Griffin uh, in one uh, in one Harrison Bagiogo with the pick six, keeping Guelph in that game for longer than I think most people thought they would or or it were kind of part of what allowed Guelph to get back in that game and and you know look a little frisky at times and and have uh, you know upset alerts going off all across the province and, and he's a guy speaking of all Canadians who's um I think at least going back to the 2021 campaign was uh, decorated with uh, I don't remember if it was first or second team and you know in a very a fairly disappointing year for the Guelph Griffins nice to see him having a you know a big moment like that despite the loss uh let's finish off with specials nate who do you like i'm going that back to that carlton game I'm going with kasim ferdinand um you know four punt returns for over 100 yards um and really like we'll get into it later but the theme of the game for me was field position in that one and it, it seemed like every time that waterloo punted the ball carlton was able to get a significant return off and get around sort of that midfield area um, and that's, you know, in large part due to Kasim. So I'm going with him. And he also has spectacular uh, receiving day as well. Yeah, Kasim, I mean, both Ferdinand brothers are huge for that team. And definitely one of the things that, uh, you know, w- with Tanner maybe graduating this year, uh, definitely two really nice core pieces that they can look to moving forward. I'm going to go to the game I was in attendance for. Shout out a member of the Ottawa Gigi's defensive uh, or defense in Emmanuel Abuagi Guillaume, who recovered the blocked punt. I believe it was Max uh, Char- uh, Charbonneau who blocked it. He scooped it, took it all the way. At the end of the day, would York, pardon me, would Ottawa have been okay without it? Yeah, they would have. Um, they would have been okay without several of the touchdowns they got on the day. But you know what? Big play on specials like that, giving you the shout out, Emmanuel. Um, so I'll wrap up the hardware section for the podcast, and uh, let's get into the one o'clock games. Ugh, one o'clock games, the bane of my existence, but nonetheless, we must do it. It is our due diligence, and start with the game that you referenced in <laughs> begrudgingly uh, congratulating two Western Mustangs, and that was. The Western Mustangs uh, taking out the Windsor Lancers here in London. Final score, Western 50, Windsor 18. One of the games that, uh, you know, as we said, a theme in some of these games was 
at least if you're following along throughout the day or if you're watching it, however you're following, thinking maybe in this one people weren't truly thinking upset, but for a good portion of this game, pretty well the half and change, Windsor is within, within punching distance. And obviously you look at that final score and Western's obviously done worse or I should say, you know, done worse things to other teams in, in blowouts. So I'll throw the question at you quite simply. Was this truly a close game? You know, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I mean, seeing the score update in the third quarter, you know, I was definitely shocked, let's say at what was it, 18-11 and then I think 25-18. Um, but going through this one and kind of watching the tape, like it wasn't like I wasn't like I mean, I was really impressed with the Windsor front seven. Um, but in terms of like their offense and how the game went, you know, I don't think, you know, Western was really ever that concerned It just, you know, the offense for Windsor just wasn't great on the day. I mean, we know they've had their struggles throwing the ball um, and that didn't help that Danny Skellen got hurt again in this one. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of field goals and, you know, a safety um, and, you know, the touchdown drive was heavily aided by penalties um, and, you know, a th- over a third of Windsor's first downs came on penalties, which is, a you know, a, a huge stat compared, you know, Western only got one first down because of a penalty. So it was just a bit of a strange game. And Western got out to that fast start. It was seemingly nine nothing before you blink. But then Windsor really was able to pin Western deep for that whole second quarter. Um, and they just really weren't able to get out. I mean, that front seven did a great job stopping the run for a significant portion of the game. Now you look at the final stats and Western run for, you know, still 200 yards, but it's maybe not the 300 or so that we're used to, I guess. Um, and, you know, again, like I really commend that Windsor front seven and, and really kind of keeping Western at bay for a while. But, you know, as always, it was only only a matter of time before uh, the ponies got rolling again. So while I imagine Windsor taking some positives from this one and feeling really good, um, you know, it doesn't really change my opinion of, of Windsor and, and their fortune. I mean, we're going to get into a point where the season where field position is going to matter and having the wins going to matter. And I think they manage those things really well. So that's really a huge positive for them going into the playoffs. But, you know, as a whole, just their inability to kind of throw the ball and kind of if you get them in any kind of second and five plus situation, I'm not feeling super great about about their ability to convert. So um, ultimately, you know, after a bit of hee haw, I think things are kind of ended up where they should have. Yeah. That was a, that was a brilliant breakdown. Um, and, and long winded. (laughs) (laughs) That's normally my job, but so I'm happy to share that, that I'm happy to share that with you. Um, I think he hit the nail on the head in, in talking about that touchdown drive that Windsor had in the third quarter, which was kind of indicative or like a microcosm of the larger, uh, the larger picture. And cause to me, the biggest thing that jumps out is, you know, yeah, you mentioned at the end of the day, Western rushes it for 215. A little less than we'd expect. Yeah. But you know what? As you mentioned, give credit to that front seven. They had a great game. Passing the ball, just you know, a, a, a yard shy of 300. And, and Tom was mentioning going into this game in the preview pod that, you know what? It'd be good to see a game where Evan Hillock can really sort of, uh, and he's had good games, absolutely. But a game where maybe a little more in his hands, kind of that classic idea of like, we know as they get into Yates Cup and the national semis, Vanier, you know, they're going to have to lean on him a little bit more. So kind of having him ramp up for that a little bit. But in talking about that touchdown drive and then looking at the hole, the thing that really 
like sticks out like a sore thumb. Like that's the most unwestern western thing you can see is eight penalties for 96 yards. Now, of course, Windsor ends up with 30, pardon me, 13, golly, 13 penalties, one three for for 90, oddly enough. Kind of weird that five more penalties, but six less yards. Um, and Windsor's, along with Carlton, be the two highest penalized teams all season. Western, eight penalties on a game. I mean, I'd be curious to go through the numbers and see the last time they had that many penalties because that is very un purple pony like behavior so i feel like this was a combination of hey you know what good on you windsor and they're in a position now where you know they're gonna make the playoffs and i don't know how much we'll talk about possible seating maybe we'll save that uh those mental gymnastics for tom and i later in the week um you know but windsor's in a position now where they're going against a, a lesser team in week nine in waterloo to shore up that you know six spot I believe uh, barring some other tie breaking things and get a little momentum from that one take whatever me- momentum you can take from this game despite the loss and you know m- hey you know what maybe make a little noise in the first round or who knows but so yeah I'd say on the whole some good things for Windsor but also with those penalty things I just ooh, I can only imagine what Sunday film was like for Western yeah, definitely good on Windsor. And you know what? Weston's probably better off for having a little adversity in their life after the past few weeks. So, <laughs> Well, but you know what? It might not be their only adversity going into the end of the season because they're going into Ottawa to take on the Gigi's next week. And oh my goodness, I do. I, I, that's that's that, that, that's going to be something. And as I mentioned, uh, Windsor returning home to take on Waterloo to finish off uh, their regular season campaign. Let's move into the next of our one o'clock games. Uh, the game I was uh, I was happily in attendance for, which was uh, York finishing off not only their regular or their home season campaign, uh, but also, of course, given they have the week nine bye, finishing off their 2022 campaign against the Ottawa GGs, who put up a 66 burger on them and proceed to shut them out as in the process as well. If you don't understand what I'm just saying, the final score in this game was the Ottawa GGs 66, the York Lions 0. Um, I tried to have a little fun at the expense of the York Lions in a comment I made to uh, a friend uh, afterwards affiliated with the team and that, hey, you know, you ended the season the way you started it, losing 66 nothing. I was then quickly corrected that they lost to Guelph in the preseason 68 nothing. So I guess the uh, the yolk's on my face um, for that one. But nonetheless, bad look, um, but not as bad a look as... Uh, as those York Lions. And I'm sure there's probably some players maybe a bit checked out. I mean, their season, I mean, hey, fin- one and seven. Hey. This is a reminder, their their last game as they have the final week by. So the, their season is now. It, over. It, it is it is truly now. And what a season it has been. It's perhaps been mathematically over for some time, theoretically over. It is now in the world that we live in of of real things and games that be that are played done in that they are not playing another football game until the year 2023. Um and you know what? Like it's one of those games where you know when you look at what Ottawa did. I mean, JP Simonkinda. I mean, holy cow! I mean, he's been rushing the ball all year long, which is why I think you know I know uh, uh, Deshaun or I don't know if it, if it was him personally or through Persevere posted something about his outing, and someone was kind of getting at him about, oh, well, I thought York was no good. It's like, well, JP's done this all year, so he rushes for 231 yards and two touchdowns. Oh, and he was given the ball. I believe I believe it was 100 yards. Or- 
over 100 yards after the first quarter or something ridiculous like that. I, I Frankly, I'm surprised it's not more. Um, Amalekar Polk, we've seen have some really good outings. Two touchdowns. And I think the, yeah. thing, the thing about Ottawa here in this one is like, We've seen teams kind of stumble their way through a York game, especially on the road in Toronto. And, you know, for a team that's going into play Western next week, it very much could have just been, yeah, let's get through it, you know, and then we look ahead to the big game next week. But that, of course, absolutely was not the case in this one. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I remember thinking that in the game and it escaped my mind that, yeah, exactly. This is a York team that sometimes causes enough of a, a ruckus to slow down they're both the litmus test lines and the ruckus lions i guess in my books um and yeah like from the from the coin toss seemingly ottawa didn't miss a beat oh yeah also they didn't start ben miracle he didn't dress in this game they had matt Mahler in there goes 10 for 17 two touchdowns of uh to uh to boot as well now that's obviously a bit of a, a, a an interesting thing it, i don't recall seeing miracle go down against Carlton and they came off the bye so like you know you mentioned they didn't seem to have their eye uh on week nine so to speak but maybe they kind of did if this was just a, a a true healthy scratch so to speak um I mean I mean I hope so for for their sake you know and Ben's sake but. yeah like as just a football person you've coached you've played the position is that like is there any bad juju to that if it is them just resting him at all or i mean obviously this is york team that like we know we've the credit we have given them has been on the defensive front and you know maybe you don't they're, want to they're a team that. that likes the zero and pressure and you know i mean it is never a simple task you know going up against them you're always kind of expecting to take some hits to be honest um but you know other than that i can't i can't really say it is a bit a bit strange you know if they were just sitting him for seemingly the second last game of the season then something i haven't really seen before to be honest yeah um so yeah hopefully he's he's healthy for obviously his sake the team's sake and then for us fans out there because man oh man them hosting western next week is a juicy affair in my books um I really don't know what else to say um, in the attempt to not just like start being mean to York. Well, it depends. It depends if we want to have a York conversation, if there's going to be a York conversation about what the future of that program is going to look like, because, you know, they lost uh, a lot of guys kind of leaving the team last year, suspiciously having a small roster, you know, are they, still going to be able to recruit and kind of turn around what whatever has gone on internally at the program i you know i can't really comment on that um but it's definitely been a stranger season than most at york and this is a a club that you know we've seen not go to the playoffs for almost was it 20 years or something like that i saw was the stats so um you just gotta wonder where they're at right and it's a team you know According to senior day presentations, they are going to graduate the quarterback and things like that. So these are just this is just the situation. I don't I think that's a conversation for another day, Nate, just because I think that's like a a, at least two part podcast that we'll end up getting into. And there will have to be, uh, you know, an E, an explicit E rating on that one before we put it out, because uh yeah, it, it, you know, I obviously have been a, I've been harsh on my uh, my Guelph Griffins of late, uh, and I'm I don't take back the comments that I've made. I think they've 
think they've been fair. That program is in a weird position and weird bad. There is still a massive gap between York and whomever you think the next team in the most sort of precarious position, whether it's Guelph, Waterloo, Max obviously shown, we'll get to them shortly, that they, you know, their record doesn't reflect their ability. Um, U of T obviously had a positive, has had a positive season. Windsor, positive season. Both those teams are going to make the playoffs. So it's still a large gap between whomever you think is the next most precarious team and the York Lions. So, yeah, we'll save that, I think, for either a full post, uh, like after the season wrap, or just whether we do York Lions specific. Any comments else on this game you want to make without diving into that territory? I'm happy, I'm happy to avoid that at the moment. Okay. So. <laughs> well, as we mentioned, Ottawa returns home to take on the Western Mustangs in a game that I am just so excited for and York. Well, York's done. Next game, we had the Carlton Ravens coming off the bye, hosting the Waterloo Warriors, picking up the dub. Final score in this game, Carlton 36, the Waterloo Warriors 18. Another game that kind of fell into that category of, okay, from the jump, Aside from, uh, aside from probably Tyrell Ford, uh, who, who's definitely always been siding with his Warriors, uh, much like AJ Allen's always been siding with Griffins. If you follow the picks that we post on uh, on Instagram, I, I think we were pretty well all in favor that Carlton coming off the bye, just across the board, the more veteran, experienced team, and just more playmakers in different spots. Um, another one of those games, kind of like the Windsor game, and kind of perhaps like the Guelph game that we'll get in shortly a game where like okay the underdog's looking a little frisky here uh you know really nice to see for Carl's uh, pardon me for Ottawa wow let's try it again for Waterloo you know Nolan Caban this seems to be a bit of a theme like the the high high usage high yardage and then a lot of picks uh, and 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 to give to give him credit like it's it, you know 300 yards like that's not that's not something that's easy to do across the OUA you know I mean he's done it multiple times over the year uh obviously throw multiple picks as well multiple times over the year but you know and kind of being a second year kid you know obviously kind of we we see guys over the years you know as you you get become more veteran you are a lot of times able to you know sort of quell your 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 turnover output as time goes on um and i think like overall it, it, he is kind of a bright spot if you're looking for the future of Waterloo. I think, you know, he'll end up being pretty good. 100%. And, you know, though we've mentioned it before, whether it's unfortunate or not, when he reaches his prime or whatever you want to call it, it won't be with guys like Gordon Lamb, James Basiliga, Rashawn Dagelman um, being his targets, Justin Sukar. But just really nice to see Gordon Lamb put put out the output he did, 10 catches, for 184 yards uh, on the game because a bit of a sleepy season for Gordon. I mean, it started off uh, odd with him getting kicked out of the York game, then getting uh, that kind of parlaying into their, probably, yeah, kicked out of the York game and that parlaying into their second game in the form of his suspension. Um, you know, the one thing, though, last thing I'll say about Waterloo, at least the, the, I'll say a uh, bit of a surprise, you know, young team, as we've said, aside from pretty much that receiving core, um, but, you know, Nick Sue and Anthony Miller have had good outings for them. And maybe this is a sign of positive things for Carlton. And despite, you know, Waterloo being a lesser team than them, 
couldn't really run the ball that effectively in this one. And, and as we've said all year, Carlton is a team that's been rushed on quite consistently. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you make anything of that other than perhaps, and I'll sort of just segue into the Carlton side of things, this Carlton team maybe finally kind of coalescing together. Mentioned Tanner Young's performance. You talked about Kasim Ferdinand who's you know been a, an absolute fiend for them um re- returning the ball but also as a, a top receiving target for Deong rushing you know Ferguson 62 yards on 13 attempts i mean better than some of the outings he's had but still a guy that man i just I, oh, can be so deadly um and on the defensive side of the ball you know seeing Shaheem uh, Charles Brown pick up two sacks um and, and some of those other things so disc Put away the side it's Waterloo, or maybe that's inextricable. Does this feel like Carlton, you know, maybe coming off the bye, they're starting to piece some things together? I mean, it was better. And I think, to be honest, like, if you look at the stats, they're actually pretty close. And, like, even Waterloo gaining more first downs in the game. But it was really Ottawa playing better football overall, you know, and it was kind of able to block a punt on special teams, having great returns the whole game. Being able to pin Waterloo deep and keep them deep, that's how they kept scoring all their points is they had, were in positive situations the entire game. And, like, when you get to the playoffs and things like that, those are the things that can win or lose you football games. So, you know, regardless of what you, you think of Waterloo, and I think, you know, we've seen them be able to score points a few times and, like, no points a couple times, but it's been better <laughs> in the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think if you're Carlton, I mean, you know, what was a, what was a feisty opponent that, has sort of been gaining some momentum even in losing situations of Waterloo I think you manage the game well and you know you're you're solid at home you know this is a team that has ended up going 4-0 at home you look at the flip side 0-3 on the road and a road test against Guelph next week who showed a little life so I think you know as much you want to feel positive about this kind of you know I will have it may not be sort of our most intriguing matchup next week but I will have an eye on that game to see you know how confident I'll be in picking Carlton going into the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, last thing on, on the Waterloo side of things, just similar to as we've started to say, okay, Max record truly doesn't reflect their capability. In Waterloo's case, I, I, I'm not saying that they, they aren't where they should be in the standings, but just for a young team, and we've talked about some of those promising things that we've seen. I mean, let's go back to the Guelph game. They almost, you know, they almost are the reason that Guelph could possibly be 0-7 right now. You know, they had an opportunity to win that at the end of it. Um, last week, Battle... Same thing in the UFT game. Same thing in the UFT and game. Final drive late, that was not successful. And you know what? Battle of Waterloo, you got to even say as well, right? Laurie had that last minute, or probably end of the game, sort of garbage time touchdown. Um, you know, maybe that's the only difference of it being two scores, but they were fairly competitive uh, through that first half. So, so definitely, you know, once again, talking about that piece on just teams and programs that you feel like are an iffy situation uh waterloo is definitely a, a team that not to say they deserve any more wins than their record they close in a few of those games but it's as good a one and six not, it's not an entirely dire situation you 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 know unfortunately you're going to be graduating some key players but there, there are things to hang your hat on and, and to work with going forward, right? Most definitely. And, you know, Bertoya, going back to his time at Western, even has been a, a masterful recruiter. They have some beautiful amenities at that school with the football program. You know, it's it's as far as, you know, coming out of the Trey Ford era, you had to expect 
well, but once again, Trey Ford kind of 500 through his career somehow miraculously, lest, lest we forget that. Um, so, you know, uh, fewer wins than you were getting in years past and less just sort of attention on the whole, but not a bad position to be um, moving forward. Um, and speaking of moving forward, of course, we already mentioned the uh, the opponents for these teams. Um, Waterloo, of course, hitting the road to take on Windsor. And Carlton, as you mentioned, going to take on Guelph. Actually, before we truly move off, the, I, I don't know, I guess, did, did we say enough about Carlton on that one? I mean, like, I guess, any last words about them? I feel like you know, we, we've, we've been... <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've been waiting and seeing about them for seven weeks, and I'm still not done yet. So. Okay, so <laughs> we will wait and see a little bit more what they can do against Guelph. Uh, like I said, they'll somehow go on the most miraculous Yates Cup run that we'll, we'll have ever seen and be like, I still don't know if they're good. Um, so let's put that one to bed and uh, move into our last one o'clock game where we had said Guelph Griffins traveling down to Kitchener-Waterloo where they were defeated by the Laurier Golden Hawks. Final score in this ball game, Laurier 38, Guelph 25. It, this game kind of had a bit of a stink of, okay, everyone, and by everyone, I mean, well, no, frankly, not just us, but a lot of people being like, wow, Guelph's in a really weird situation right now. Laurier, let me talk to you about Laurier. They're looking really good. Ooh, Laurier goes up 14 nothing quick in the first half. And and then that second quarter where it's an eighteen to nothing difference for Guelph, or maybe you know a couple really bad turnovers. Mentioned the Harrison Bagiogo pick six, Quentin Scott fumble. To have a bit of the stink of of maybe Laurier being like, oh yeah, we're gonna kick their butts. Oh, we're up fourteen nothing. We are kicking their butts, and then maybe falling asleep at the wheel a little bit, and then you know maybe starting starting to look ahead to a little game against Queens next week or something like. <laughs> oh that. yeah, oh yeah. Um, I don't know what what did you make of this game because you know as we've mentioned, like ultimately this week, if you just looked at the winners and the losers, it's chalk. But this one definitely, like we've said in a few of these games, had moments of being like. What the hell is going on at Laurier right now? No, and I think you know if you're Laurier, it's funny because you know you look at look at the numbers offensively and and they stand out. You know they're really good. Uh, Elgers my only three completions. You know Quinton Scott and Tanner Nelms over a hundred yards each. But then you look at Elgersma. Two of his three incompletions are picks. Quinton Scott adds a fumble, and that's really kind of. You know, what overall was was, you know, you would have to say a good game, a good performance from Laurier, but a few plays in there um, that you're not going to be able to make going forward. And I think, you know, going into, you know, a significant game against Queens next weekend and sort of, you know, more playoff situations, um, you're not going to be able to play like this and succeed. So just something to keep an eye on going forward for Laurier and especially, you know, you're doing these things at home, you know, it's on top, you know, you're dealing with, you know, a heavy wind scenario and playing with field position and things like that. Um, you know, these are mistakes that will absolutely end your season. So um, doing that against a Guelph team, you know, you're going to get away with it. You have a bad quarter. It's all good. Um, but you do that against Western and you're looking at a 21 point deficit. So. Yeah. You know, on the Guelph side of things, um, Hey, only one quarterback. It's better. It's better. It's improvement. And d- 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 not to, I guess, make it a self fulfilling prophecy. Do can we put any of that on the fact that it's like he only played one quarterback? Is, is, does that work at all? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say. No, I'm not going to say. Uh, well, <laughs> just scanning through the uh, player participation uh, on the topic of quarterbacks. Uh, 
still not seeing Sean Law's uh, name. So uh, <laughs> who knows what's going on in that situation right now? But um, you know, and a solid a solid game from Helfrich, you know. And I think Gloves in a position where you know you you kind of wish you would have finished this one stronger, obviously. Um, but nonetheless, some positives to take away. You know, you're going to finish at home against Carlton. I wouldn't say that's a completely unwinnable game, given Carlton's form on the road. So, I mean, in a position where, look, it's been a rough go for you guys, you know, but still still a chance to take some positives away. And I think, you know, regardless of what you make of the, the season, this was at least a step in the right back in the right direction, let's say. The unfortunate thing, of course, going into that Carlton game is, not once again, not to play too much of the playoff scenario situation, but even if Mac then loses to U of T uh, with Guelph, perhaps uh, theoretically picking up a win against Carlton, you have both of them at two and six for that final playoff spot. And Mac, as we remember, picking up the tie break when they faced off against each other last week. So for Guelph, I am all but certain they are eliminated from the playoffs at this point. Um, so we'll see how that sort of affects them. Maybe they want to, you know, maybe they take on the the mantle of, hey, let's play spoiler. Though ultimately, I don't know what you're really spoiling for Carlton other than maybe, you know, having them not at full steam, um, you know, rolling the way they would want to go in the playoffs. But we'll put that one aside for right now. Uh, for Laurier, of course, um, they, as you already mentioned, finishing their season at home still in one of the... Man, there are some juicy games next week. Pretty across the board. It's it's an awesome looking week nine. Holy cow, Nate! Maybe we just need to bring get all hands on deck for the week nine preview pod and and, and make it like a two hour marathon. Because holy smokes, there's so much we can talk about all these games. Besides even talking about playoff implications, but that game, of course, being Laurie hosting Queens in a battle for second, third. Fourth, I don't really know. We'll, we'll figure that out as we get there. Um, speaking of Queens, we'll finish off with where the OUA Saturday finished off, which was in Kingston, where your Queens Golden Gales, Nate Hobbs, picked up the victory seemingly by the skin of their teeth, defeating McMaster, the McMaster Marauders 14-10. to Nate, you're sitting there pretty in the Queens, as you already corrected me, full zip. You know, uh, we, we talked so much about you know, Queens coming off that bye, coming off the win against York, looking freaking good. And Mac maybe getting a little mojo rolling against Guelph, but is Guelph now one of those teams that we don't put too much stake in what a, the opponent does against them? And much like the Ottawa game uh, that was in Hamilton, nonetheless, uh, Mac had an opportunity at the very end to pick up a win. Uh, which, you know, we talk about teams' records not necessarily reflecting their performance. This is a MAC team that absolutely now, when we put everything into perspective, a number of games that, you know, ifs and buts, whatever, 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 but were very much in some of those games that they lost, this being as much uh, the case as any other. You were watching this one as closely as anyone was. Um, is it just a story of this was just the two defenses going at it, or is there sort of what what nuance can you add to that um, sort of superficial take? I mean, that's a large part of it, but I think you know if you're the MAC offense, I think you feel as though you outplayed the Queens offense. I think if you're MAC, you should have won this game. To be honest, you know, and I think watching it. You really had Queen's number most of the game. 
you know, the offense started off really strong and kind of fell off near the end. But on the defensive side of the ball, you absolutely had Queen's number for, you know, almost the duration of the game. You look at the numbers and they are just not good for Queens, especially throwing the ball, you know, having their longest completion be 22 yards, being nine of 25. Obviously, this is where you have, you know, a first year starting quarterback. And it showed it absolutely did, you know, and even souls unable to get anything going, you know, yeah. And longer being kind of a saving grace going down the stretch. That's when we really started to open things up. But, you know, if you're Mac, I, I don't want to say you feel like you blew this one, but you came about as close to blowing it as possible. And I think it was kind of, you know, a really solid performance from Dueck, but I think really it was, it ended up kind of turning into this almost hero ball deal with him. Um, going down the stretch in this game and two really, you know, long shot picks. And that was the one that set up the Queens touchdown um, where he was kind of deep in his own end and just kind of was scrambling around and threw up a prayer, which was then returned in the scoring position for Queens. And that's their only touchdown of the game was on a 30 yard scoring drive. And that's what ended up winning them the game. So if you're a Mac, I think this is a huge missed opportunity but nonetheless, I think you probably feel really good about your team. And guess what? If you win against Toronto next week, there's a fairly decent chance you might be rolling back into the Queens going into the playoff game, and you're probably feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, won't won't that be something uh, special if, if that is the case? You know, kind of looking at some of the um, not intangible um, aspects of the game, but sort of the more secondary or even tertiary stats beyond just like the the yards and things like that. Much like in the Western game, it, you know, it's it's it stands out when you sort of look into the Queen side of things and see they got twelve penalties in this game. The net yardage not brutal, but it, you know, once again, and, and maybe that's partly to Max credit to be able to frustrate them a little bit. But I feel like that has to be part of this as well. And once again, you know, how much credit do you give to Max side and sort of putting Queens into situations that they get, get those penalties? I don't know, but very un, un Queens like what was very Mac like though, um, as much as we want to sort of celebrate them defensively is do it get sacked four times and they only rush the ball for 70 yards, which at the end of the day, yeah, you might be right. Maybe they blew an incredible opportunity. If they do go back into Queens, I mean, or go back to Kingston to play Queens in the playoffs, I mean, part of me kind of feels like, you know, your Golden Gales might, uh, well, who knows? It's part of me that just feels like there's a lot of things that, that Queens defensively did, still did really well, and they can clean up some of those penalties and, you know, wreaking in a little more experience and familiar with this defense as well. I don't know if it, we'll, we'll see, but I don't know. It just th- those two things from the max side of things still kind of give me pause with them, where it's like you just you you know, hey, we we, we thought yeah, you rush the ball a little bit against Guelph, seemingly everyone does, but maybe you can ride that momentum and uh, you know and, and Duick still getting sacked. He's a he's a tough sob, but like man, still things that just kind of like some of those things we've talked about with Carlton, where it's like ah, you know. All year long, like some of the inconsistencies that you just, I mean, the O-line play at this point, how much can you fix at this point in the season is what it is. But all I know is you're you're probably not going to go that far if your O-line is seemingly the issue. Well, I think you really you really have to hang your hat on your defense. And I think, you know, it becomes a point of where, you know what, maybe you're not going to play offense to kind of 
you know, blow the wheels off the car or anything like that. You know what I mean? You're just kind of trying to move the ball methodically through the passing game. You know, it's a lot of screens. It's a lot of unders, crossers, things like that for Mac. Um, you really kind of saw them trying to manufacture a run game out of the short passing game, which they can do effectively at times. Um, but by the time it got around to the fourth quarter, Queens had, had more or less kind of snuffed that out um, going down the stretch. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, watching this Mac team and this defense and sort of being home for U of T next weekend um, in a situation where we've seen that U of T offense kind of be hot and cold throughout the year. Uh, it's going to be a tough task for them going to Mac next week because those guys look in peak form on the defensive side of the ball. No, 100%. Um, we'll see what U of T can, can conjure up, uh, you know, having had the, the bye week for week eight. Um, you know, and for Queens, yeah. another like enormous test next week. I mean, you know, you mentioned it last week at the end of the pod, kind of talking about, you know, how are we going to assess this team with, with sort of, you know, the first year starting quarterback and things like that. And, you know, I talked about Laurier kind of being more of the test here, but we saw today um, that, you know, the offense was not clicking at its full potential, obviously, you know, Max, a tremendous defense. We've seen Laurier, be able to create turnovers and have a great passing defense as well. So, um, you know, another significant test for Queens and kind of you definitely want to be in a better way going into this playoff situation um, than you were at the end of this game. Yeah. I got to just lastly shout out the giant slayer himself, Josh Cumber, picking up his third pick on the season, has him now uh, tied for third in the OUA rankings there. Um, nice to see uh, Josh uh, really get going uh, late in the season. Once again, just another uh, – you know, part of the defense that makes him so effective. Five picks against Guelph obviously wasn't sustainable, but they clearly have the players there to make uh, make that uh, to bring that ruckus and make that happen. Um, so that'll wrap. And being yeah. harsh on being harsh on Queens, I let it. It is significant to be able to win it a game ugly like this, and that's something you know that may come in handy, kind of having an experience of pulling one out like this down the stretch into the playoffs. So, so kind of like that West a uh, Western Windsor game light, or maybe. I don't know what the proper a bit, a bit maybe a bit more uh, concerning than that one was. I think in terms of you know the end, the winning and losing at the end of the game, but you know you're coming off sort of Guelph and York games where you ran the table quite easily. So uh, it's time to kind of get back in the groove. And, and you know it would have been easy to see them kind of fall by the wayside, not be able to come back and come up big. Um, but in the big moments, they were as big as they could come, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, and the big moments are only getting bigger as we move into the final week of the OUA regular season with, once again, I'll repeat, some extremely tasty matchups across the board that I cannot wait to dive into. Whether we get the 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 three, uh, the three of us on the pod to break it all down because there's so much to talk about, or whether it's just me and Tom, or whether there's a fourth person joining the podcast, you'll have to wait for it on Friday. We'll talk to you then. Happy 55.